David Owen, and I'm a staff writer at The New Yorker. And as far as I know, I don't have uh, the coronavirus. Several years back, David Owen got to tour the headquarters of the company that makes Purell. All the employees have little bottles of Purell hanging from their belts, almost all of them. There's Purell on every desk. And it all seems sort of unnecessary because as you walk, you can barely walk 10 feet without passing a dispenser. David's story about Purell ran in The New Yorker in 2013. Back then, pandemics weren't top of mind for most Americans. It turned out the people who make Purell were way ahead of the curve when it came to antiviral hygiene. I think the thing that struck me about everybody I met there, you know, people were constantly <laughs> rubbing their hands. And, you know, they'd squirt some Purell into their hands and they'd be rubbing it. People with very, very clean hands in that company. I'm sure you could touch any surface there and not have any concern at all about that you were picking up any kind of infectious agent. There's got to be one of the cleanest places around. And in fact, they have a very low employee absentee rate for that very reason. They just don't get colds as often as people typically do. Of course, these days, it's not just manufacturers of hand sanitizer who are acutely aware of the importance of keeping clean. You know, go to the grocery store and feel self-conscious about using the, the Purell dispenser by the door. Well, now, I, now I don't. Purell was invented in 1988. And for the first decade of its existence, the product lost money. People didn't see any reason to buy a special goop for cleaning their hands. Purell eventually became profitable, but nothing in its history compared to what happened when COVID-19 arrived in the world. People were suddenly willing to pay exorbitant sums for even small amounts of Purell. A friend of mine spent $80 you know, a month ago to get two little tiny bottles of it shipped to him, and they actually came. But it's, you know, it's like he bought maybe $10 worth of Purell for $80. And now he says it's much too valuable to actually use, you know. In response to what they call a dramatic expansion in demand, the makers of Purell say they've ramped up their manufacturing. They're operating 24 hours a day, seven days a week, in order to meet the world's newly insatiable craving for hand sanitization. Before this pandemic, the story of Purell was mostly a story about innovation, about inventing something people needed before they realized they needed it. Now it's a story about something every business executive dreams of, a sudden influx of customers desperate to get their hands on your product. But what happens when demand for a product surges so fast that the leading brand can't produce enough of it? You get scarcity and price gouging, and other companies jump in to fill the gap. Business-wise, it might seem like the coronavirus is the best thing that ever happened to Purell. But when life returns to some level of normalcy, Purell might discover that this moment has birthed a whole raft of new competitors, rivals born of necessity and honed in a time of crisis. Will there still be enough unclean hands to go around? I'm Seth Stevenson. Welcome to Thrilling Tales of Modern Capitalism. Today on the show, Sanity and Sanitizer, the story of Purell. The Ohio-based company that makes Purell was founded in 1946. It's called Gojo, named for its co-founders, Goldie Lippman and her husband, Jerry Lippman. 
Goldie had worked in a rubber plant, and in a rubber plant, people's hands get filthy, especially during the Second World War. And the workers there were cleaning their hands with benzene, which you don't even want to be near, and they're washing their hands with it. And uh, the women especially hated what it did to their skin. So Goldie and Jerry came up with this hand cleaner that was not, it didn't give you cancer and didn't burn your skin off. And you still see it. That product, called Gojo, is a heavy-duty hand cleaner that's used to this day in places like car repair shops, where workers' hands get covered in thick grease and oil. Gojo's hand cleaner was invented with the help of a chemistry professor at Kent State. Back in the early days, Goldie and Jerry would mix up batches of it in a washing machine. Then they'd bottle it in old pickle jars they'd get from local restaurants. Jerry was the salesman of the pair. And the way that he would sell it, he would go around, he'd put a glob of it in his hand before he went to pitch the product to a garage owner. And when they shook hands, the owner would get a big glob of Gojo on his hand, which he would then wipe off. And as he wiped it off, he would see that his hand was coming clean, sometimes for the first time in years. Jerry created a dispenser that garages could mount on their walls. It doled out dollops of Gojo whenever a worker needed them. Jerry got a patent for this device in 1952, and the company claims his invention is the ancestor of every wall-mounted soap dispenser in the world today. Heavy-duty hand cleaner was the company's staple product for decades. In the 1970s, Jerry and Goldie's nephew, Joe Canfer, took over as CEO of Gojo. And it was Canfer who presided over the development of a new kind of hand sanitizing gel, one that was less goopy than Gojo's previous products, and was meant to clean off germs, not motor oil. Canfer called this new product Purell. It took a year and a half to perfect it. The current formulation of Purell is about 70% ethyl alcohol, with some emollients thrown in to make it easy on your skin, and some fragrance to make it smell nice. Purell's development phase was complete by 1988, but Canfer told David Owen that it took quite a while for it to catch on. It was a product that nobody knew they wanted until they had it. Purell's early adopters were mostly healthcare professionals. Doctors and nurses discovered that it was a more convenient and efficient way to clean their hands. They didn't need to stand over a sink for 20 seconds. They could just squirt some Purell into their palms and rub them together while they were walking to their next appointment. Purell also had another advantage over soap. It was gentler on skin. When it really took off was when nurses who liked it began asking for bottles for themselves. Joe Canfer's wife started getting calls from some of these nurses. She told him, she said, you know, nobody ever calls me about anything else that the company makes. So I think this product has a future. Canfer finally introduced Purell to the wider consumer marketplace in 1997, almost a decade after its invention. Here's an ad from that era. An ugly germ. Catch it, and it could really get ugly. And the worst part is, germs live on all kinds of things, even things we touch every day. But now there's Purell Instant Hand Sanitizer. Purell is clinically proven to kill germs on your hands that may cause disease without water or towels. So use it often, anytime, any place. In 2002, the Center for Disease Control endorsed alcohol-based hand rubs as an effective way to fight germs. And that was the benediction that Purell needed. Sales steadily grew as Purell bottles made their way into soccer moms' purses and Purell dispensers popped up at large gatherings of all kinds. The military became an important customer, as did other big institutions. It's no wonder Purell is the number one brand trusted by hospitals and moms. Because we all know it's about more than health. It's about showing you care. Gojo says Purell is the number one selling hand sanitizer in America. 
which is maybe not surprising since it's the product that created the category. 74 years after its founding, Gojo remains a tightly held, family-owned company. It doesn't release its sales numbers, but at least one estimate suggests that Gojo's revenue in 2018 was around $370 million, and that the company was worth around $1 billion. But that was before COVID-19. Gojo says it has an in-house group that monitors public health situations around the world. The company became aware of this new, emerging coronavirus pathogen in December and immediately activated what it calls its demand surge preparedness team. They may not have been able to predict the course of the COVID epidemic, but they knew one thing. When people heard about a deadly new germ that was spreading around the world, they would start hoarding hand sanitizer. And that's just what happened. Well, if you've tried shopping for soap, hand sanitizer, or a mask, there is a run on all these products and the price gouging has begun. This morning sold out. Coronavirus driving a consumer scramble for hand sanitizers. Matt Colvin bought 18,000 bottles of sanitizer after the U.S. saw the first coronavirus death. Amazon took down his listings after some were posted at $70 each. The Food and Drug Administration has tight rules about the claims companies can make when it comes to fighting diseases. And Gojo isn't allowed to say that Purell is effective in killing the coronavirus. But the company doesn't really need to. The CDC recommends using hand sanitizer if soap and water aren't available. And Purell is so deeply associated with fighting germs in consumers' minds that plenty of them made the connection themselves. Gojo hasn't released any hard numbers, but they say they started ramping up Purell production in January, adding workers, operating around the clock, and moving product at a record pace. The bulk of that product has been reserved for healthcare workers and first responders around the country, people who need to clean their hands while on the move. Gojo says it'll make Purell available to places like convenience stores, where regular consumers can buy some, quote, when it is able, which leaves a gap in the marketplace. That gap has led to some price gouging, with bottles of Purell selling for obscene prices online. But it's also led to new competition. I remember the staff meeting that we were in when I brought it up to everybody. And the reason we brought it up was because we couldn't find any. Matt Cunningham is the co-founder of the Old Glory Liquor Distillery in Clarksville, Tennessee, about 45 minutes north of Nashville. He makes bourbon and whiskey and other spirits. And they also host things like weddings in their event space. Early on in the coronavirus crisis, Matt was having trouble finding any hand sanitizer for himself or for his employees. So he wondered if they could just manufacture some. Hand sanitizer is mostly alcohol, and a distillery knows plenty about that. He started looking into it. So how tough was it to figure out a recipe for a hand sanitizer? How, how complicated is the process of making it? A lot easier than making whiskey, to be honest. Uh, when the World Health Organization issued the guidelines, they were very specific on what those ingredients could be that went into this specific formula that we're allowed to use. The FDA followed up with the exact same. And so um, it's ethanol, glycerin, and hydrogen peroxide. Very simple. The harder part was packaging and distributing it. He managed to convert Old Glory's liquor bottling line and use it to bottle their new hand sanitizer instead. But when it came to shipping those bottles, it turned out to be more complicated and regulated. 
And we didn't really think about it, but we, I guess we knew it after we brought it up. The product that we're shipping now uh, is flammable. It's very flammable. Uh, it's 80% ethanol. E85 ethanol, which you pump at the gas station, is 85%, and this hand sanitizer is 80%. And so uh, it is a flammable product that we're shipping for different areas where we're shipping more than, uh, let's say, more than a gallon. That more than a gallon is considered a hazmat shipment. Wait, so if I squeezed a little of this into a spoon and took a lighter, could I just light it on fire? Yeah, no question. It would light up quicker than gas. At first, they donated their hand sanitizer to local first responders and healthcare workers in Tennessee. But soon they were getting requests from all over the country, and from businesses too. At that point, they couldn't afford to keep giving it away, so they started charging, though Matt says it's a below market price. They've gotten so many orders that they've had to double their staff to keep up. And how much have you made in total so far? Oh gosh, um, quick math, uh, we're, we're probably getting close to 15,000 gallons. You know, most people have had to lay people off and we're very fortunate that we've had the opposite. You know, we've had to hire more people to make this happen. So we feel very, very fortunate there. So the hand sanitizer business is keeping Matt's people employed and even creating new jobs. And it's easier to make sanitizer than whiskey. It's a quicker process and he's already got all the tanks and special equipment he needs. And although there would usually be a lot of regulatory hurdles involved in making a product like this, in this case, because of the crisis, the FDA slashed the time it took to get approval. So no problems there. Huh, all this made me wonder something. If and when things go back to some kind of normal, will you keep making hand sanitizer? I mean, could you see this as as a new business for you or is this strictly a temporary thing? It's been a really fun conversation to have when you go home with the dinner table. Right now, we we don't have a definitive plan to do that. But as this goes on, we don't think that hand sanitizer is going to go away. You know, this product that was something that you saw sporadically is now something that's going to be a staple. And this may be something that we look into keeping around in the long term. What are the margins like? Is this something that could be a successful business for you if you wanted it to be? We would definitely need to get our costs down. Um, Right now, it is a profitable product for us, one that is kind of stepped in to fill in where our events have been canceled and our gift shop traffic has essentially died completely. But if it is something that we were to stick with, I think, you know, we're pretty good at what we do on the liquor side as far as our costs go. So I think we could probably find the same cost, get, get them down, get the margins right. So this pandemic has sent hand sanitizer demand through the roof. And that might be a lasting effect if we keep cleaning our hands with great frequency even after the virus fades. This is great for Purell. Gojo invented this product that's turned out to be incredibly useful in a moment of crisis, and the market is rewarding them for it. But a rising tide can lift a lot of boats. The barriers to entry to the hand sanitizer market aren't very high right now. Demand is soaring, regulation is eased, And Matt Cunningham is far from the only person to have the idea of pivoting to hand sanitizer. Plenty of others are having a go, too, including lots of other liquor distillers, big and small, and also some fragrance makers, and even Kylie Jenner, the world's youngest billionaire, who's helping to convert a cosmetics factory for the purpose. So what happens if the tide goes back out and demand slows down a bit? Will Purell maintain its dominance in this category? Or will one of these upstarts, born in a moment of need, 
turn out to have staying power. It'll be a challenge for the newcomers. Purell had a long head start and built a brand so strong that, like Kleenex, its name is synonymous with its category. But Matt Cunningham thinks he's got at least one advantage. To be honest, the aroma of ours is much more pleasing to me. It's an ethanol base that really kind of smells like the distillery when we're making whiskey. And so I love that. Um, it's a little bit different than the chemically smell that you get from hand sanitizer sometimes. How would you feel if it turned out that you were a more successful hand sanitizer company than, than liquor company? <laughs> you know, um, Things work out in, in weird ways sometimes. We don't foresee that happening, but uh, if it does, then how exciting and how awesome that we've been able to build a brand on something that was able to help hopefully so many people out during a time when obviously is a, a sadly historic time. And so if that's the way it works out, then, then hey, that's all right. That's our show for this week. This episode was produced by Jess Miller with help from Asha Saluja and Megan Kalstrom. Our technical director is Merritt Jacob. Gabriel Roth is Slate's editorial director for audio. Alicia Montgomery is the executive producer of podcasts at Slate. June Thomas is senior managing producer of the Slate Podcast Network. If you like this show, leave us a review in iTunes. It helps other listeners find our show. And you can also help support us by signing up for Slate Plus. Slate works hard to bring you great journalism and podcasts like this one, and right now we need your help. It's only $35 for the first year, and you'll get this and other Slate podcasts ad-free. Sign up now at slate.com slash thrillingplus. I'm Seth Stevenson. More thrilling tales next week. 